you've got a copy of God's Word, I hope you do, please open up there. We're going to continue our study uh, in 1 Timothy, kind of looking at what are Paul's instructions to Timothy as a young pastor and as what we should focus on in guiding the church. What are some of the things that Paul focused on in instructing Timothy, and how can we take those things and learn from Paul and, uh, and Timothy and this instruction here to guide our church? Um, Last week, kind of give you a little bit of a recap, Paul began his letter with a greeting, and then his first instruction before anything else, the very first thing was, Timothy, protect the church's doctrine and protect the church's devotion, okay? I'm charging you to instruct certain people to cling to the sound doctrine and to not be devoted to anything else, okay? Don't teach anything else, don't be devoted to anything else. So then this week and then next week, we're going to kind of continue this discussion about doctrine and devotion. This week in verses 8 through 11 here, Paul is going to elaborate more on sound doctrine. And then next week, starting in verse 12 and really going through the end of chapter 1, I'm pretty sure, we're going to see him elaborate on devotion. And if you look in verse 18 of chapter 1, he goes the whole chapter And then in verse 18, he says, this charge I entrust to you. So almost all of chapter 1 is a single charge from Paul to Timothy. Protect the doctrine, protect devotion. Okay, And he's going to elaborate on that some more this week and next week. And then chapter 2 will kind of start his additional instructions. So I'm going to read verses 8 through 11. We'll pray, and then we'll dive in. It says, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, with which I have been entrusted. Let's pray. God, would you please open up our eyes tonight? Would you pull the veil back continually as we read from your law? Don't let us be able to see but not seeing from your truth. Holy Spirit, fulfill your ministry in our hearts as we read your word. Illuminate Christ for us that he might be more beautiful in our eyes. We love you. It's in Christ and we pray. Amen. So, Paul's discussion of sound doctrine here is going to be guided by this topic, the law. Whenever we read the law in their context, it's going to be talking about the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament like we did. They were living in New Testament times. So their copy of God's Word was the Old Testament. That was largely it. The New Testament is being written as these things are going on. But today, we might use it to summarize God's Word just in general. A good way to think about it is God's instructions to his people to live like his people. So for Israel, they were following the Old Testament law and saying this is how God's people ought to act. For us, we look at the New Testament as well and say this is, in addition to the Old Testament, how God's people should act. Okay? So God's law, I want you to think about it as scripture in general as we start to kind of unpack this a little bit. I'm going to give you four observations that I've seen in this passage that we can make about God's law in 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11. Okay? So starting in verse 8, it says, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. 
So we're going to answer two questions. Why is the law good? And what does it mean to use it lawfully? What's an unlawful way to use the law? What, what, if, what if I, you know, I, I have reason to think the law isn't good? Convince me. Those are some of the things we're going to look at. Okay. So immediately, Paul gives us the answer to the second question, or the second observation is law is uses it law, lawfully. Paul answers that question directly, and this is going to start our four observations. So observation number one in this passage, God's law reveals to us who we really are. God's law reveals to us who we really are. Are. Let me show you where I'm seeing this. We're going to continue reading. If one uses it lawfully, understanding this, verse 9, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. I'm going to stop right there. So my son Gabriel, he's a roamer. Okay, Kristen, whenever we had her, we bought all the cabinet little closing things. You put them on the inside and screw them in, and the cabinet won't open up. And we're like, okay, this is baby-proofed. We, we are like grade A parents. This is going to go great. She never tried to open a single cabinet. She never tried to put something in a single outlet. All that time and effort and money put on those things didn't touch it. Gabriel comes along. We're like, oh, well, our children don't do that. He touches everything. I'm like, Gabriel, wait right here. I look back and he's like swinging on, swinging on the lights. I mean, he's just everywhere. Well, they love playing outside. And Kristen does really good at, hey, stay right here in this area. Gabriel, you turn and look away. You look back. He has run like two houses over across the yard. So for Gabriel to play in the backyard, we need a fence. What a beautiful innovation, okay? I can put him in the backyard. He's going to stay in the backyard within reason. He might find a way out, but that fence kind of keeps him in because he is prone to wander. You say, yep, I hear that. You already know where I'm going with this. He's prone to wander. His heart yearns for what he's not supposed to have, that freedom. He's prone to do that, and this is us. So you'll be familiar, most of you, with this song, Come Thou Fount, and this line, I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. The fact that we need a law tells us something. We are lawless. So whenever it says that, understand this, the law was not laid down for the just. If we were just, we wouldn't need a law. We need the law because we, by nature, by definition, we don't do those things naturally. Our heart is prone to wander where it's not allowed to go. So that law is laid down for us for that reason. You don't need rules for people who do what's right. You need rules for people who don't get it. And that is us. The law isn't given for sin, but for sinners. People. Us. You don't believe me, look at the passage here. It's not laid down for the just, I'm going to include the word ones. It's not laid down for the just ones, but for the lawless ones, for the disobedient ones, for the ungodly ones, for the sinning ones, for the unholy ones, the profane ones. Every item in this list is describing a person. 
The problem is not the things that we do, though those are problems. The problem is us. We are prone to wander. So God's law reveals to us, you need a law. And it's because you're lawless. You're prone to wander. So right after giving us the purpose of law, Paul gives us kind of this list of sinful behaviors. Look at it with me, starting in verse 9. Um, the unholy profane, and he continues, there's more people, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, murders, sexually immoral, homosexuals, enslavers, liars, perjurers. And then this last one is interesting. Whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. I think the most important item on this list isn't any of the first seven. It's the last one. It's the last one. Whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Why would I say something like that? Murder. Murder's got to be the worst. Homosexuality. Slavery. These are big sins. Surely those are the most important ones. The final item on this list reminds us of something very, very important. Sinful actions are symptoms of our sinful disease. Okay, I'm going to unpack this. Sinful actions are symptoms of our sinful disease. The problem isn't just that we sin. Sin is a symptom. The problem is that we are rebels against God by nature. God, I hear what you're saying. I don't want that. I don't feel that desire for those things. And that causes us to live a lifestyle that is in rebellion against God. And the fruit of that is murder, striking parents, lying, perjury, sexual immorality. All of those things are symptoms of a greater problem. We can address any one of these. I can teach my children not to hate people to the point of killing someone, and hopefully that would not happen. But sin is still going to work itself out of them in another way. If that's what I give all my effort to is I'm going to target this one, it's going to force itself out somewhere else. So it's going to happen. So I think that this last one is really important for us. Some people take this list and use it as a way to judge the seriousness of sin in others. They say, well, the reason Paul gives us a list is these are the, these are the worst sins. You know, these are the ones that, that really cause the most damage in society or for, or for us personally. You know, it's like if, if someone does this, oh, well, that's not good, but, oh, man, homosexuality, like, that's, that's, it's in the list. It's one of the worst. So I don't think that's a good way to use this list. And I'm going to tell you why in just a second. The important thing for us now, for our purposes now, is according to this passage, all of these actions stem from unsound doctrine. He gives the list, and then at the very end, and anything else contrary to sound doctrine. So the reason all these come about is because we have an improper view of God, and that fences down, and we wander. So the fence is erected, that's God's law, and this 
puts us within the bounds of thinking rightly about God. That's what the scriptures do for us. I can think rightly about God because I have this fence keeping me from wandering. Now, this doesn't get rid of my desire to wander. The desire to wander is still there. I come to the fence and I recognize I'm not supposed to go past this. And then sin within us says, I'll dig under the fence. I'll remove the loose board that I know is right here. Okay? But the point is God's law gives us the fence and defines for us how we think about God. And if I can tame my doctrine according to this, I will be more likely to live in a way that pleases God. Okay? So we rebel against God. We think of God as our enemy. We have an improper view of God. And our sound doctrine teaches us God is loving. He's a father, savior, friend, Lord. And we slowly stop rebelling against him. So this is going to lead to the second observation. First one, God's law reveals to us who we are. Second one is God's law leads us away from ungodliness. Second observation, God's law leads us away from ungodliness. So if ungodliness stems from this bad understanding of God, this bad theology, and if bad theology is addressed by God's law, then the way to turn from my ungodliness is to embrace this. And I'm going to give you an example of this to help to materialize this for us. As the scriptures correct our thinking, it's going to correct our living as well. I'm going to give you some examples. So you may be familiar, hopefully, with Psalm 119, longest psalm in Scripture. It's awesome, okay? I'm going to give you a few excerpts from this psalm, and then I'm going to read a passage from it. Listen to how this author describes God's law and how it affects his, the way that he lives. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. In each of these, God's law is never separate from his living. The law is his counselor. Hey, Go this way. Do not go this way. He turns his feet according to his precepts and his laws. I'm going to read verses 97 through 104 just straight through. Listen to the description here. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. So this whole chapter is about how the author is guided by God's law. Whenever we protect our sound doctrine, we're not just engaging in a mental exercise. If it never leaves here, it did not fulfill its purpose. Our theology is designed to push us 
out of the church walls to the community. It's designed to push us away from ungodliness. It's designed to push us towards the Lord. To push us toward, I so appreciate Brother Craig's prayer just saying, God, we need, we need the lost to be saved. That is our mission. That happens the more properly we understand God and our condition. When we don't understand that the real problem is our sinful disease, when we think the real problem is homosexuality, that's the problem that's messing everything up in America. The reason we can't beat the problem is because we've misdiagnosed it. We're treating a symptom and thinking that's going to fix the disease. It's not. The disease is the sin disease in us that produces homosexuality, lying, thievery. So the second observation, God's law leads us away from ungodliness. And the third observation is related to the second. God's law protects us from the effects of sin. God's law protects us from the effects of sin. This one is implied in this list. These sins are not committed in isolation. Go back and look at the list of sins again that it lists. It says, those who strike their fathers and mothers, fathers and mothers are affected. For murderers, the ones who are murdered are affected. Sexually immoral, involving multiple people. Men who practice homosexuality, involving multiple people. Enslavers, involving multiple people, the ones who are enslaved. Liars, affects other people. Perjury, affecting other people. All of these things, they are not committed in isolation. When the law no longer restrains our sinfulness, at large, we will feel its effects at large, regardless of what you do personally. We're seeing this in our culture. As our culture rejects God's law, we shouldn't be surprised that we feel the effects of godlessness around us. This is designed to protect us from that. And there's some that would tell us, you cannot use your deeply held religious conviction when it comes to writing law in our country. That's a lie. That's like trying to fight with your hands tied behind your back. Okay, fine, I won't use that, I'll use... We can't succumb to that way of thinking. We can't do that. Not just for the love of God, but also for the love of others. I don't want to see our kids growing up in a country where they're going to be faced with these effects of these sins. So God's law, it protects, leads us away from God, but it also is designed to protect us from the effects of sin. On a personal level, away from ungodliness. On a large level, the effects of sin. We see this in stores where restrooms are no longer divided by gender. We see this with false accusations made against high-profile leaders just because of their worldview. We're going to feel these effects. God's law is designed to protect us from these effects. Now, there's a really big problem here. The law shows us we're sinners. The law leads us away from ungodliness. The law protects us from the effects of sin. But you know what the law does not do? It doesn't fix our problem. The law does not fix our problem. A list of do's and don'ts 
does not get rid of the disease. That's, that's the glaring problem. A lot of us use the law this way. If I live like a Christian, then I'll go to heaven. I've talked to people, so, you know, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Okay. So, how do you know? Well, I mean, they think about it, and they start listing everything that they do. I'm not saying that person really wasn't a Christian, That shouldn't be how we think about our Christian lives. How do I know I'm a Christian? Because Christ died for me, and I'm born again. I'm, I'm saved. That's how I know. Now, you might ask, are you sure you're a Christian? And then I might respond, yes, I'm sure, because I see the fruit of it in my life. But that is a completely different order. I have sat across the table from people, said, You're not a believer, but you want to be a believer. Yes. Why don't you give your life to Christ now? And this is what one girl told me. I think she's now 20 years old. She was in my student ministry. She did not grow up in church. Really, really bad home life. She said, well, I just need to get some things together first before I come to Jesus. So I told her, I'm like, that's what I'm trying to tell you. You don't have to do that. God will save you now. And he will get those things out of your life for you. He will save you. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, we have a hard time accepting that truth. I've wrestled with, why is that? Is it pride? I think for many of us, it's different reasons. But it's important for our purposes to recognize that's using the law in a not lawfully way. If I live like a Christian, then I'll go to heaven. Or sometimes we use it to tell other people to stop sinning. We talk to someone who's not a Christian, and our idea is, I want to share the gospel. Hey, you're, you know, homosexuality is a sin. You should stop doing that. You should be a Christian. In their mind, being a Christian is just stopping this one sin. We need to be much clearer on our gospel presentation. As right as that statement is, it does nothing for the person committing that sin to stop that one sin. The symptom will go away, but another one is going to pop right up. And here's the third problem I see with this. Some people do the exact opposite, and they just leave the law out altogether. Don't talk about sin because you're going to scare them away. Let's just focus on grace and love. Grace needs sin as a context in order to be grace. You can't receive a solution when there's no problem. And this is kind of leading in to our last one, last observation here. God's law, number four, God's law makes grace sweet. Look at how he talks about the gospel and God in verse 11. So he gets to the end of the list. He says the law is good as long as one uses it lawfully, understanding that the law is given because we're sinners. We do all these types of things. The law is designed to protect us from that and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Verse 11, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. 
the law is in accordance with a message. The message is the good news, the gospel. It's good news. And this message, look at the description, is from a glorious, blessed God. How does all of this fit together? The law is so good because it reveals our need for grace. We all need grace. No matter how perfect we like to convince ourselves that we are, we all need it. And when we tell the rest of the world that we've got it figured out, the rest of the world thinks, well, they're Christians because they don't need grace. They need to see that we need grace too. We are just as lawless as anybody else. I am no more or less lawless than anyone else that commits any other sin. But we're not all convinced of this. Like, yes, that makes sense. But then when we see someone like Hitler, the extreme example that's always given, we're like, oh, well, of course we're not as bad as him. Are we not? We're all rebels against God. And if we convince ourselves we're not, we're telling the rest of the world there are levels of lawlessness. And the rest of the world is going to see, well, your level of lawlessness is not as bad as mine, therefore God can't love me. We've got to embrace this because it makes grace so sweet. Because of the law, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I can't perfectly keep the law. I know the rest of the world can't perfectly keep the law. I know that I am helpless. It is our ultimate helplessness against sin that drives us to ultimate dependence on God to save us from it. If you're not helpless against your sin, you will not cling to God like you should. We've got to be helpless before God against our sin. We've got to say, God, I need your law to guide my steps and to turn my affections to you because I'm helpless. When we protect our doctrine, this is the message we're protecting. That we can't do anything. Christ is everything. And that's why Paul makes such a big deal about doctrine. It turns us to God through the work of the Holy Spirit. Our message cannot be, hey, stop sinning so that you can go to heaven. Our message must be this. Come to God and he will save you from your sin. How do, how do you know that? He did it for me. He did it for me. So why is the law good? Verse 8. We know the law is good. Why is the law good? It reveals what I would never see so that I can have what I could never earn. Grace. Amen. Let's pray. God, right now, we praise you for your law. We praise you for your love for us. Father, you shower your love and grace upon us and we're reminded in your word that you have demonstrated your love for us in this. While we are still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Father, we are nothing but desperate, desperate people who desperately need you. We are not perfect. We are not good. But your son has died in our place and granted to us his righteousness. We are now children of the Most High God. And we thank you for that, Father. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that you have sent to dwell in us and to reveal these truths to us so that we can finally live for you and not be enslaved to our sin any longer. Father, would you help us to fight against our sin? Would you bury your law deep within us to lead us away from ungodliness? Whenever we stumble, Father, would you remind us that you have forgiven us, that we belong to you, that we don't earn your love, we have your love and forgiveness. Would you use that to strengthen us, Father? Would you correct our bad theology when we think about you improperly so that we don't get led astray by these strange teachings and that we're not led away from you? Father, for our church, would you use our church as a beacon in this community with this message? Come, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Not First Baptist Church, but Jesus, who alone saves. Father, we love you and we thank you for saving us. Pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, the end. We're officially dismissed. It's good to see you. And. Uh,